0: Hi, I'm Maynika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Late Monday night, the American news outlet Politico published a leaked document from the Supreme Court. It was a draft decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. That's the landmark ruling that set a precedent for abortion rights in the country for the last 50 years. Without it, how, when, and if people can get an abortion in parts of the U.S., will change. Here in Canada, we have our own Supreme Court decision that decriminalized abortion, and it's not being threatened in the same way. But barriers still do exist to getting an abortion in Canada.
1: So these are very serious reproductive health and justice issues that we know we need to attend to. We don't have to wait for a new threat a coming threat, we know it's already happening and we need to address it now.
0: Martha Painter is a registered nurse in Halifax and the author of Abortion to Abolition, Reproductive Health and Justice in Canada. She joins us today to talk about her work providing abortion and how far abortion access has come, depending though on where you live. This is The Decibel. Martha, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me. What did you think when you heard the news of this draft ruling in the U.S. that would knock down Roe v. Wade and effectively allow states to ban abortions?
1: Well, of course, my first reaction is uh, grief for my colleagues in the U.S. who are providers of abortion, um, for patients in the U.S. who have been Uh, dealt this very serious um, blow. I'm also always concerned when there's news about the U.S. that we're not meeting it or complementing it with information about how things work right now in Canada. If they think that there are these extra restrictions on abortion, it can serve as a barrier to what is already sometimes quite challenging accessing care here where it is completely decriminalized, where it is publicly funded.
0: And so did you see, I guess, kind of that initial reaction where people had some confusion around what things are like in Canada that that is different than in the US?
1: Yes. One of the things I see a lot of is this could happen here right away. It's already happening in PEI, for instance, that that would circulate a lot. So, people aren't aware of the um, really incredible changes that have happened to abortion access over the past five, 10 years. And just, just to clear up, you
0: mentioned PEI there. Is, is abortion accessible in PEI today?
1: In 2016, there was a long overdue lawsuit that um, I was part of this work. We brought against the government of PEI for the constitutional violation of failing to provide uh, abortion care on island because there hadn't been care on island for several decades. And the government actually would pay for procedures to happen in Nova Scotia or um, in New Brunswick. Uh, We were successful. And in 2017, PEI opened its abortion service program. It includes medication abortion, which can be acquired at two different sites in Charlottetown and Summerside, and a comprehensive surgical abortion suite in Summerside. And it is really important that people know that and that they know they just call one number and they will get the care they need.
0: Let's look at the the overall Canadian context for a bit here then, Martha, to kind of take it back and and see how things have evolved in this country. So in in 1988, our Supreme Court of Canada ruled on a case called R.V. Morgenthaler, which decriminalized abortion. Is this the same as legalizing abortion in Canada? Basically what it does
1: is it removes abortion from the criminal code. So abortion is no different from any other type of healthcare service that would also not appear in the criminal code.
0: So it's decriminalizing it so it's not a crime is basically kind of that key part there but it's not necessarily ensuring that you will have, you know, open access to it everywhere. Is is that fair to say? Yeah. So in the U.S., they're worried about abortion being banned uh, in some states and not others, which would create like a patchwork situation, basically. Uh, and given that healthcare is delivered provincially here in Canada, could we ever see a similar situation where abortion is legal in one province but not in another?
1: So because our policies are based on the Federal Charter of Rights and Freedoms, Generally, no. Generally, it's a, it's a different system. And if you were to create a criminal law, that's also the federal criminal code that you'd be altering. So generally, no. Um, you know, for instance, if you wanted to improve access to medication in abortion, as a province, you could negotiate um, better billing codes, better remuneration for prescribers so that it was more attractive to to add to their practice. So you could do that to make things better in one province and not do it in another. Is there a province, I guess, that, that does it better than others in
0: Canada right now? Like where, I guess, where do you have the least barriers in Canada to access an abortion if you need one?
1: But it depends on what we mean by access, right? So access has all these different meanings. And the first principle of access is do you even know, right? So that's that informational access that I keep harping on about. It's it's very difficult to compare the provinces. Um, We have seen that for instance, Quebec, although it has the most surgical abortion clinics per capita in the whole country, it's had very low uptake of medication abortion. One of the things that we can definitely think about that's very concrete is physical distance. So in Nova Scotia, the furthest distance you would have to travel would be about three and a half hours, just because Nova Scotia is small. And then you look at the Prairie provinces, where people could be up at the very top of those provinces um, in towns I don't even know the names of, and it's quite a trek.
0: So as it stands now, people can can access an abortion from hospitals or or from providers, but can a healthcare provider deny someone the service if they don't agree with it on on moral grounds? Like I think about the, you know, the medical, medically assisted dying, and how practitioners can actually say they have a moral objection to it, but they still have to provide, give you access to some care there, provide other people who might be able to do it for you.
1: Yes. So that's a principle in our code of ethics as healthcare providers, that you not abandon the patient. There's no expectation that every healthcare provider will have the same skill set, so it's it's not only an issue of, of perhaps morals or religion, but an issue of, of what you're good at. And so, if you encounter something that is it's not something that you do, then you do have to refer to someone who can help the patient. That's why it's so great to have self-referral for abortion, because abortion is is. Primary care, it's a very basic thing. And you can do that now in every province. And so the
0: self-referral that you're talking to is essentially you have access to a clinic or something yourself then directly? You just call. That's it. That's that's all you do to get care. You call. Hmm. Can't you also just hopefully go to your doctor, your general practitioner, and, and get help that way as well? You can, yes. And are doctors and nurses trained to be able to provide this care as, as part of their schooling? Is this something that
1: practitioners go through and know, generally know how to do? So um, in nursing school, in general, there's no education about abortion, even though one in three people with a uterus will have an abortion in their lifetime. And it's obviously a very important thing to know about as a nurse. For physicians in med school, some get a little bit, like maybe one lecture about um, abortion. And then otherwise, they'd have to choose to have an elective to go by themselves to have um, clinical exposure. So despite its importance, it is not standard curriculum in any of the health professions.
0: Why? Why is that? It seems like a
1: it, it seems like a strange thing. Why not? In general, Our society um, and our schools, we just have not paid enough attention to reproductive health care, even though everybody has it. It is essential. It is basic, foundational, all those things. We just haven't cared. So this is one of the areas where I do the most, uh, most of my work is educating healthcare practitioners about how it works. And you can do it too, because if you don't know, then of course you're not doing it. And the limited number of practitioners is a really key part of our access problem, especially in rural, remote northern communities.
0: So, Martha, as a registered nurse yourself who does work in reproductive health care, you actually do administer abortions. What's your job like?
1: So the nursing care involved in uh, abortion work uh, includes the counseling, so you do the assessment with the patient, talk about their decisions, really work through that: is surgical or medication abortion best for me, and then provide the care during the procedure, any of the medications they would need during uh, their, in the OR, be with them after in recovery, and then help with follow-up care. So it's very dynamic nursing work um, it's very fulfilling. The patients are so relieved and um, yeah, it's just a really good experience to be able to provide this care.
0: You, you said it's fulfilling. Can, can you expand on that a little bit? What makes it so fulfilling for you?
1: Uh, Cause you need to be able to control your, um, when you decide to have pregnancies you need to be able to control that to achieve your employment goals, to finish your education, to protect yourself from entrapment in very violent relationships. So and, and you can help with that. And a lot of healthcare, you know, you're not so necessarily successful all the time. So you can the patient comes in wanting one thing and you can give them that thing. What's something that that people maybe
0: like misunderstand or or just don't know about abortions?
1: Usually people say with in relation to uh, surgical abortion, that wasn't as bad as I thought. It, of course, can involve pain, but um, people can be very afraid of the procedure and then often say afterwards, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Also, however, on the flip side, medication abortion is, is not as simple as taking a pill and it's done. It can be quite grueling, the cramping and the bleeding. People need to know that having an abortion does not affect your future fertility. And most people who've had an abortion have kids.
0: In the 20 plus years you've been working on this issue, Martha, how do, how do you feel about the progress that Canada has made in terms of reproductive rights in that time? Would, would you say progress? to start, I guess?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm so thrilled with all of the things that we have achieved. But (laughs) there's so much more to do. We do need, really, to spread the word about how things have changed. People need to know just about medication abortion. It's a revolution, and people need to know about it. People need to know about self-referral, about where we've expanded access that we didn't have it before that every nurse practitioner and general practitioner of family medicine, everyone in the country, except Quebec, sorry but except Quebec, um, can prescribe medication abortion is extraordinary. At the same time, we haven't done a very good job in addressing other reproductive health crises. Um, for instance, the child protection system and how it removes babies, from usually Black and Indigenous families. That's a violation of reproductive health and rights. The prison system that completely separates parents from their children, from their communities, that denies them access to care, that denies them the opportunity to get pregnant, that's a violation. So these are very serious reproductive health and justice issues that we know we need to attend to. We don't have to wait for a new threat, a coming threat. We know it's already happening and we need to address it now. I've heard a term
0: uh, reproductive, reproductive justice being, being used in, in this conversation a bit. Is, is this, I guess, is that the term that kind of is referring to those things that you're mentioning there?
1: Yes, absolutely. So this is the movement uh, created and led by Black feminists uh, who identify that there's so much more to reproductive health and rights than abortion. Abortion, of course, very important. But what about the kids we do choose to have? And how are we protected to be able to parent them, parent them well? While we have to protect what we've achieved in in terms of abortion and continue to push for expansion, we also need to turn our heads to the other crises that are already upon us. Can
0: you just really kind of spell this out for me here? Just the connections between something like poverty and racism. How can how can these things change or affect somebody's reproductive freedom?
1: Uh, Okay, so you know somebody responded to a tweet today, just talking about how when they shut down the Greyhound buses in the prairies, how that decreased access to abortion. So there you have an example of Indigenous, Indigenous people are more likely to live uh, in rural areas, are more likely to need to um, travel some some amount of, of a distance to get to a clinic for surgical care. And when you remove, not that the Greyhound was public, but anyway, when you remove public transportation off, um, services, you create inequity. So we see all of these examples about how there are layers of barriers created that have nothing to do with abortion law, not at all, that have to do with the way our society is structured. So, I mean, it sounds like it
0: really does come down to to access. So even though abortion is legal in Canada. We, you know, on, on kind of that level, we should all have access when it really gets down to the details of who does have access and who struggles with that access. That's that's the sticking point
1: here. Exactly. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it. yeah, it does sound like it can be pretty difficult sometimes to get information on abortion services in Canada. So maybe if if someone is listening and they want to learn more about this, where should they go or where can they look to actually find this information?
1: So another really important thing that we haven't even talked about yet is the crisis pregnancy centers and the danger that they present because they often come up. And when you Google, I want an abortion in Saskatchewan, you are very likely to get hits on crisis pregnancy centers, which are fake clinics and operate for the purpose of providing disinformation. They pretend to be clinicians, they pretend to do health services, and and they don't. Um, Can you explain that a little bit more? Like what, what is their purpose then? To pressure people out of having an abortion. They operate on a currency of guilt. And there are... Religious affiliated, usually. Many of them are registered charities. So, yeah, so when you're a registered charity, you can get quite the budget through fundraising and use that budget to promote your services. And we don't see the provinces promoting their abortion clinics, um, and we do see the crisis pregnancy centers promoting themselves. So that's an area where everybody has to be cautious. When you Google it, you need to make sure that it's an abortion provider and very clearly says we do abortions to 12 weeks, 20 weeks, whatever. Many of the services are affiliated with provincial health authorities um, like Nova Scotia Health or Alberta Health Services, what have you. And when you see that, you know, okay, it's connected to uh, health services. It's not an independent crisis pregnancy center. And organizations like Action Canada, which is our real national advocate for sexual and reproductive health, they have a a toll-free line you can call to get directed. Every province does have public websites with the information. It's just, can you find it in all the weeds of the crisis pregnancy centers?
0: Martha, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
0: That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our intern is Emily McPhail. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pacenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.